G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Just last week, there were some calls that came in South Australia for internet addiction to be treated as a disorder. There was a researcher from Flinders University who argued that internet addiction is not being treated and was manifesting itself into online behaviour detrimental to real-life relationships. So how bad is this problem getting of internet addiction? Are you addicted to the internet? What does it mean that children are exposed to pornographic images that most Australians would describe as promoting a perverse view of sex? Well, author and speaker Brad Huddleston has just finished what is called an eye balance tour. His iBalance 2017 tour with Sergeant Nigel Dalton of the Queensland Police in Mackay. So he's been in North Queensland. The two of them spoke together to over 4,600 students and almost 300 parents and teachers. Well, one of the benefits of talking to such large numbers of young people is the capacity to turn the engagements into a fact-finding research mission. So expect some straight-talking reality this hour. And I want to invite you to be part of our conversation. You can do so on 1-800-316-316. Brad Huddleston is author of a book called Digital Cocaine, A Journey Toward Eye Balance, another book called The Dark Side of Technology, Restoring Balance in the Digital Age. He's also done some DVD series, those books and those DVDs available in the Vision Store. But Brad Huddleston, a special welcome back to you to 2020. Thank you, Neil. I just love being with you. been looking forward to this for several weeks. I mean, I contacted you before I left the States, and uh, when you said yes, I just was you know, thrilled. Well, look, it is always a privilege uh, to be able to talk to you, Brad, whether I'm talking to you from your hillbilly home <laughs> in the U.S. or That's whether right. uh, you're in the studio with me as you are today. Uh, it is always a pleasure, yeah. and uh, we always glean so much uh, from your understanding. Uh, you've been on this tour, the iBalance tour. Mm-hmm. Most of this has been in North Queensland. Right. Uh, describe how that tour has gone for you. Well, it was excellent as far as how it went. I mean, we we saw the Catholic Church send in busloads. Now, you know, the Queensland Police is not a Christian organization, but we go everywhere we're asked to go, state schools, private schools, public schools, whatever. But for some reason, we the schedule filled up very quickly whenever we put the word out that I'm coming. And then the Catholic uh, school system really wanted us to speak to all the students, but we just couldn't. So they said, may we bus them in? And so one morning, uh, you know, here comes four busloads to the one school converging and and it just went really well. The, the openness and the receptivity was incredible. But what we found in our research, of course, is getting more and more disturbing. 
Uh, well, some people will be excited to hear that schools are bussing kids in to hear a message that's so important like this. Right. And uh, and when you're hearing of Catholic schools doing that, clearly there is a message that's getting through to the leaders of schools who are actually on the ground. They've got this day-to-day interaction with students and recognising there's a problem here, right. a problem with having a mobile device at school, a problem with uh, maybe even the teaching outcomes that are happening that they're uh, observing and they're monitoring. Mm-hmm. So the leaders in schools starting to say, we've got to do something about this. It depends. Um, I'm just going to talk straight on exactly what we found. The teachers were really the impetus behind this. The administrators and the principals largely don't show up to the meetings. For them, it appears, and I don't want to falsely accuse all of them, but by virtue of the majority of them not coming to the auditorium or to the to the community meetings or to the meetings where we're speaking to parents and teachers, their absence was noticeable. So, you know, I don't want to judge, but obviously they are disengaged, but it's the teachers who are the recipients of what culminates. So the children are getting up or they're not sleeping for one thing, but when they do get up, they're looking at the screens and all these chemicals are going through their brains. They can't control their attention until period two or three, and then they want to sleep at school. So the teachers are are loving us, absolutely loving us, and and they're the ones driving it. But the principals largely are ticking off a box maybe. They're nice to us, and they're opening the doors, so I don't want to put them down. But I honestly think they're out of the loop. So it's the teachers are driving this. Uh, they're happy to have you there, but if they turn up at the meeting themselves, they'll be under some obligation to take some action because the sorts of evidence that you present mm-hmm. is so compelling. You can't go away from a Brad Huddleston meeting and say, we'll just let it all slide. Right. Uh, she'll be right, mate. That's mm-hmm. our Aussie way of dealing with these sorts of things. But but the sorts of evidence that you're presenting, it is compelling and it is evidence-based, and it is on the rise. This is a major problem, Brad. It is. What we do is use neuroscience, and I'm very fortunate that I have an ongoing collaboration with the Bureau of Market Research and the Neuroscience Division at the University of South Africa. So what we deal with are just sheer x-rays of the brain. I mean, we're looking at other people's research, and, and it's just like these fMRI scans are so clear. And when you take a child off of the devices for just three weeks, all of a sudden their cha- the brain changes through neuroplasticity, the color comes back, and their personality reverts back to the way they used to be when they were sweet. And so we're, we're using science, and that's why you walk away disturbed. It's not that I'm hyping it. In fact, Neil, truth be told, with some of the issues such as pornography, I withhold a lot of what I know uh, because we have to ease people into some of this. It is so shocking and getting so bad. But what has happened in 2016 – the emotional problems in the children bubble to the top to the point where somebody knew or people know intuitively something is off and they're looking for answers. I had a teacher last night. I was out speaking in Bow Desert and she was saying, you know, we, we sit around in our teachers circles and we think, is it home life? You know, it's out of control. We can't control them. Their attention spans are so short. Is it this? Is it that? And then she said, you know, once we saw you tonight, we never seem to draw a link that the overuse of technology is causing brain stimulation and hyperactivity and so the light just went on. And so now, you know, they went, can you come back here and speak? And of course I can. So it, there's some good news on this, but it bubbled, it's bubbled up the emotional crisis in these children and the behavioral issues, particularly the anger. 
is what's really, I think, driving it. You've touched on some symptoms there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the ability uh, to uh, not have attention to things, an attention deficit, mm-hmm. uh, anger issues. What are the things uh, for listeners to our conversation today? Uh, got kids or grandchildren? Uh, they're on their mobile devices continually. What sort of symptoms would people look for to say this might ring an alarm bell? There may be an issue in my family. Right. Let me give you symptoms of addiction because addiction happens in the same area of the brain no matter what you are addicted to. And that area is called the nucleus accumbens. So it's in the nucleus of the brain. It's the pleasure center. And the reason we get addicted is because we're deriving joy out of that activity. And the body builds up resistance to that activity. And then we end up having to do a lot of the activity to overcome the resistance. So that's how you get addicted. So with a smoker, you have breathing problems. With an alcoholic, you would have liver problems. With someone who ingests cocaine, you'd start to have paranoia. With digital addicts, same area of the brain, the nucleus accumbens, but the top three things you look for are anger when it comes time to take it away, anxiety disorders, which would include attention deficits, and thirdly, boredom. So we have what is hyperboredom. They've got this wall in the brain that is pushing out the dopamine, and that's the driving force behind pleasure. And if you're doing an activity that doesn't generate a lot of, of dopamine, for example, maths, English, history, science, those activities generate the proper amount of dopamine to learn because you need dopamine. It's not your enemy until you get too much. Problem is they've been Netflix binging They've been looking at pornography. They've been doing all these things, so they have built up this resistance. So if they're not doing an activity that's generating large quantities of dopamine, they have non-stimulation, and non-stimulation is boredom. So children are saying, I'm bored, I'm bored. Let's go to grandma and granddad's. No, that's boring, or can I take my games? So the brain scans can show exactly what's going on and, and why we need to quickly reverse this because in an underdeveloped child and adolescent brain, the truth of the matter is we have no idea what the long-term effects are. This whole thing is so new, but we do know that it's right now it's not good, so it can only get worse, but we don't know what it's ultimately going to culminate with. I feel like we're talking about conclusions early in our conversation, but for parents who want to take action, uh, they some people will be saying, I'm going to wait for the government to legislate. Really, it comes down to individual parents taking responsibility now for the welfare of their children because children are being affected by this. Uh, Waiting for the government, a lot of people, I mean, there's some ideological ways that people think the government is the solution to every problem. But uh, but in this particular issue of internet addiction, responsibility Mm -hmm. for parents, what do you encourage parents to do, Brad? Take control themselves. In your show open, you were talking about People trying to get IAD, which is Internet Addiction Disorder, to be recognized as an official clinical disorder. The reason why it's not is because of a document called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. We're in the DSM-5 now. That comes out of America, but a lot of the clinicians who use that as a diagnostic criteria around the world use that. That that document, for whatever reason, and it's unknown, they will not recognize digital addiction. They don't recognize it. Asia does. So if you want to be properly diagnosed, you have to go to Asia because they have in South Korea alone 400 digital detox rehabilitation centers. They're detoxing children as young as three. But here in Australia and America and Canada, Europe, it's not recognized as an official disorder. So doctors are a bit hesitant to call it that, although all of the ones that I work with uh, certainly do behind the scenes say, of course, it's an addiction, but it's hard 
to for them to do something. And the government is not because of that DSM five. There is no governmental agency monitoring the brains of children. The assumption is if it were bad for us, they would stop it. Now, they may in the future, but it's not there yet. So parents have to be empowered, not condemned but empowered to do what you have to do. God gave that child to you, not the school. God gave that child to you, not the government. So take matters into your own hands, monitor their emotions, and you'll find out pretty quickly where the lines are for your child. And so if you took an ordinary family, and it may be these days the typical family where parents might be concerned about what their children's internet use is, uh, the use of their mobile devices, the sorts of things that they're looking at online, But they might not be doing anything because as parents, they themselves may feel as though they're the ones who've got the problem. And uh, how hypocritical would it be if I took my child's device away when I myself am addicted as deeply? Is this something that you're finding? Well said, Neil. The average age of a video gamer, uh, every year these stats are updated. It's somewhere between 32 and 37. Currently it's 32. That's a millennial problem. So you have two layers now in our society around the world where the Internet exists. You have two layers now, the millennials and their children who are equally addicted. And you're absolutely correct. The, the parent addiction breeds denial and justification. And so they're in denial. So they're going to be in denial for their child as well. And the justifications are easy to come up with. Everybody does it. The school requires it. Certainly, if it were bad, they wouldn't push it. They'll even cite research about hand-eye coordination. And of course, my job is to come in and cite the entire study, not just one half of it. So that's where we are. And you're exactly right. You have parents. And, and, and I'll tell you what's disturbing now. The fastest growing demographic of digital addiction is now in our seniors. So anecdotally, um, to back those statistics up, child well, a parent came to me and said the granddad wanted to come and pick up the child and have a day with his grandchild. They takes him fishing. Great thing, but the granddad sat there on his Facebook, on his tablet the whole time while the child fished. So you're seeing that, and it's disturbing. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. Author and speaker Brad Huddleston is our guest. He's just finished his I Balance 2017 tour. He was on tour in North Queensland, spoke to thousands upon thousands of students and hundreds of parents and teachers, all about these issues that we're talking about today. He is the author of a book called Digital Cocaine, A Journey Toward Eye Balance and the Dark Side of Technology, Restoring Balance in the Digital Age. Uh, Let me ask you, Brad, when you did research on this latest tour, and we're talking about Aussie kids Mm -hmm. in this research and perhaps Aussie parents too that you've been interacting with, What are you finding regarding internet-connected devices in children's bedrooms? Is there something obvious that's floated to the surface here? Definitely. What what we do is extensive surveys with the students, uh, and we do lots of polling and and with the teachers and parents at the parent meetings. So one thing that was very disturbing, we would ask starting in grade 3, uh, all the way up to 12, we'd start in grade three. How many of you have internet-connected devices in the bedroom? And we would define it, mobile phones, gaming consoles, because they're connected to the internet, and televisions. Televisions are normally smart TVs now connected to the internet. Starting in grade three, you'd have 60 to 65% of the hands go up, grade three. By the time it got to grade six, it was 100%. 
So we would then poll the parents of these children and say, do your children, do you allow your children to have Internet-connected devices in the bedroom? And they would say no. Now, I'm giving you a generalization. There were a handful that said yes, and and but there was a disparity that we would get in the, the police car every day and go through these, and it was just jolting because these children were honest. They would tell us what devices they had in their bedroom, but the parents were saying no. Now, I don't know why they said no. I didn't sit down and run focus groups, and so I don't want to falsely accuse or misjudge anybody. I don't know if they're naive. I don't know if they're embarrassed to tell. I have no idea, but the fact of the matter is the children are answering yes to the tune from grade six and up is 100 percent, grade three uh, to about you know five. You're talking 65 percent, 60, 65 percent, but the parents are clearly, when you, when you tabulate those, they're telling us no, but. Eighty-five percent of all the issues that you and I are discussing don't happen in Internet-connected laptop, one-to-one laptop and tablet program schools. They are a contributor. There's no question about that, and often they're the gateway. But the 80 percent of the problem happens in that bedroom with the door shut with parents telling us, oh, no, 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 my child, no, it's all good. Now, I don't, you know, but that's that's really what is happening. We would like as parents to think that if our children are under our roof, uh, they have a comfortable warm bed to sleep in, Mm -hmm. they're living in our house under our protection, that somehow or other things will be okay. Mm -hmm. But in comes these digital devices, hyper-connectivity to their friends, and then uh, the access to uh, hyper-information superhighway, that we used to call it, uh, coming into these devices. Uh, nothing's off limits when you have a device like this in your hand, and that has consequences. It has definite consequences, Neil. From a theological perspective, uh, I jokingly say that they're evil little creatures, and everyone has a laugh at that. It's a theological statement. I don't care how pretty the little package is, we're all born with the nature of Adam, and every last one of us on this planet is in need of redemption by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we cannot trust ourselves. We need accountability as adults. So what do we do? We have policemen to give us accountability. We put sunscreen on when we go outside. We do all these things, but when it comes to these digital devices, suddenly we think these children are redeemed. There's nothing needed. They're precious. They wouldn't do an evil thing in the world. And clearly, I'm here in this country and other countries for a very big reason. They need accountability. They need to understand that, you know, they they will say, I I don't want my child to think I don't trust them. And I'm like, of course you shouldn't trust them. You know, it's not that you hate them. Somehow you want to be a friend to them, but you need to be a parent to them. You shouldn't trust them. They have the nature of Adam in them. They need you to guard them, plus with the neuroscience, their prefrontal cortexes that modulates all or regulates, I should say, all of that and allows us to self-police is not fully developed. So from a purely non-spiritual, physiological point of view, their impulse control is not developed. They'll go for it. And so on that basis alone, you should take it out of the bedroom and not trust them. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Kate in Townsville in North Queensland. Hello, Kate. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Hi, Brad. How are you? Hi, Very Kate. well. What are your thoughts, Kate? Um, I'm just really excited to hear Brad speak. Um, I live in Townsville, so I'm actually a bit gypped that we didn't get to see him up here. It would be wonderful to have him up here sometime. But um, my main question, I can acknowledge what Brad was saying, that a lot of parents are in the dark about what's actually going on under their own roof. 
Um, I've got four children ranging in age from 11 to 3 and I know there's no mobile phones, there's no tablets in our house so I know that the bedroom isn't the problem at this stage at least, thank God. Um, my main thing is what parents can do. You talked about empowerment in terms of school. Like I've got a five-year-old in prep and they're you know, introducing iPads in prep and I've been, like I said, I don't have any, we don't have any screen devices and portable stuff that's wirelessly connected to the internet in our home. So what can we do? It's all being obviously integrated as education and there's coding being um, introduced into the curriculum and all this sort of thing. So what do we as parents, what are we able to do to be empowered in that sort of situation as well obviously in our own home? I mean, there's obviously steps we can take there, but in terms of not sitting on our laurels and waiting for the government or someone to pass legislation um, just to avoid the, the digital obsession and the digital um, yeah, addictions that are, that are occurring in children. Kate, that's a great question. I get that quite often. L- let me address two things that you said. One is the coding issue. I have a degree in computer science. That's one of them. And I am extremely scared that children in primary schools are being introduced to coding. It is so stressful for the brain. They can do it, and they can do it very well. But I'm very disturbed that that's happening. That's another issue. Maybe we can talk later, Neil, on that. But to get to her question, what can you do? To be perfectly honest with you, the momentum here in Australia, Australia logs more time in the classroom with technology than any nation on planet Earth. I'm here. (laughs) That's why I'm here. Um, South Korea used to. But South Korea has learned their lesson, and now they only log nine minutes a day. Nine minutes. And somehow all of the countries in between Australia and South Korea think we can improve. We can do this. We can master this. But but we're a long way from them, I think, waking up. So what I tell people, you have to do what the tech executives in Silicon Valley have done themselves. They have analog schools there. They're called Waldorf Steiner. I do not agree with all of Steiner's educational philosophies. I do not. But I don't agree with a lot of the morals of the tech executives either. But the one thing that we all agree on and the reason they are flooding these analog, non-digital schools with their children, the reason they do that is because of brain science. Between 0 and 11, the creative side of the brain is in development. And we all know, those of us who study neuroscience, know that that, those screens are interrupting that process between 0 and 11. So the tech executives forbid their children to have technology at home and at school, and it's not that they never give it to them, but they wait. That said, taking that example, parents have to take matters into their own hands. And I, I get I really believe if, if people were to build analog schools here, the Montessori's and the, the classical schools, I honestly believe it's gotten so bad in some homes, not all homes, but in some, those schools would, would, would fill up. And uh, Kate from Townsville, uh, I'm not sure how helpful you think that was. I'm after your uh, thoughts on on that sort of response because uh, you're between a rock and a hard place, aren't you? Because as a parent, you want to take a responsible attitude to the digital devices. Uh, You've got your school saying your children need to have these tablets and they're going to learn coding. Uh, Kate, uh, what are your feelings about the place that you're in right now? Um, I, I probably, I, I definitely um, appreciate what Brad says and I actually have looked into the Waldorf Steiner and Montessori side of things and like Brad said, there's obviously with the Christian foundations that I want my children to have there, obviously it's not completely um, compatible. My main thing is, 
I don't have a degree in anything. So in terms of, I know Brad, coming from Brad, you know, he can go into schools and say, look, this is what's happening. But as a parent, I suppose, having that um, credibility, for want of a better word, in terms of being listened to and heard. Like, actually, as soon as you said, walled off and, you know, the analogue schools, like, that that ignites a passion in me because I I know there used to be one here in Townsville, for example, and as far as I know, it, it you know, closed down a few years ago. So how do we, it's a bit probably about how do we actually take that step forward to get something like that happening? How do we coordinate people together with like-minded people who have that passion? I mean, I, I didn't realise it was eye-opening to actually know that Australia has the highest tech time in schools out of every country in the world. That's absolutely, um, it's terrifying to be wow. honest mm. because as a parent, I do know the, the dangers of it from a psychological and obviously a physiological and every other perspective. Um, yeah, it's just a matter, I suppose, of what the next step is rather than pulling children out of school and homeschooling them, which isn't really an option. Yep. Um, Kate, yeah. thank you so much for your input today. Yes, That's been so you. valuable hearing from a mum. And you mentioned four children uh, aged between 11 years, your eldest, and three years, your youngest, and uh, right in the middle of what we're talking about today with these influences upon children. So we're talking about the latest thoughts on Australian children uh, with our special guest. And, of course, uh, Brad Huddleston is our guest. Uh, Brad, uh, we'll talk some more about your books in just a few moments. Uh, but let me just ask you, as we before we take some more calls, some people listening to you talk about these things, they might be thinking, does that Brad Huddleston hate technology? What's wrong with this man? Uh, what are your thoughts? I have a computer science degree. That was my first one, and I didn't renounce it when I started studying neuroscience. Uh, we're streaming this across the world. We're on all these stations here at Vision. My wife is listening right now back in America. I love that, appreciate that. So the issue is working within the boundaries of the brain and how much it can take before damage and addiction sets in. So that's the issue, and you have to break that down by age. And so, no, I don't hate it at all. It's just sticking within the safe physiological limits of the brain. Okay, before we take another call, let me just follow through too on what that mum named Kate said just before the news. And if you're just joining us, Kate joined us and uh, she said, I've got four children, oldest is 11, the youngest is three, and she is concerned about this. And she said something very important, Brad. She said, I don't have a degree in all this, so I find it very difficult to go and speak up. I feel like because I haven't got a degree, I've got no credibility to speak to perhaps the principal at the school or uh, others who might be in authority. That woman is a champion. Yes. Kate, uh, just a wonderful champion. You articulate things so beautifully. Uh, people will listen to when you speak. Uh, what are your thoughts just on that issue of, of feeling like you're somehow rather inferior because you haven't got a degree in computer technology? If she had four children, she's qualified. And I'm being very serious. She knows children, and she knows intuitively, without any science, when those children are being harmed. And she is articulate, and she has a great nature about her, and she is a powerful force. I, was, I speak in Microsoft Showcase schools, but that wasn't always the case. It took parents to go march into the principal's office and say, he will speak here. So parents wield a lot of power. So I always tell them, you do wield a lot of power. You don't need degrees to let your voice be heard and to make change. Just be sweet, but be powerful. 
uh, assertive, I think, is the, the right way to talk about that yep. because uh, you can be assertive. Another thing, just to quickly follow through, because I don't want these thoughts to get lost in the conversation, you mentioned that Korea, South Korea, mm-hmm. uh, is way ahead of the world. You mentioned that our open slather policy in schools where children are using mobile devices uh, all day and then they're getting home and they're using their mobile devices all night. Uh, Korea has recognised that there is an issue here and they are able to limit those things. Do you know what led to that and what sort of outcomes they've seen having made that a limited policy? Just to give you some perspective of what led up to their change in opening detox centers, they have the fastest internet in the world. Here I did a download speed with some of the NBN that's controversial and it was pretty slow. About 5 megabits average. I got home. It was 185. Some parts of Seoul are getting 10,000. That's 10 gigabits. So they've had this incredible speed for a long time. So their gaming community sprung up before anyone. They beat everybody in the world. They introduced it to the schools. I mean, it's just – I've been there. I keynoted at Global Youth Forum. The point is there were a couple of incidents that happened that shocked the nation. There was a a young couple, millennial couple, who had a a baby. They gave birth to a baby, and the baby was in the creche in their unit, their apartment. And every night they would slip down to the Internet Cafe because the bongs or the Internet Cafes are very popular there. And while they were actually playing a video game that required them to take care of a virtual baby, change its nappies and feed it, and you got points for looking after it, their own baby died of neglect and malnutrition. And then there was another incident where these gaming kids would go into the cafes over the weekend and game for 72 hours straight. Many of them would not eat or drink. And when you get dehydrated over a period of time, your heart will stop. So what ended up happening, one of these kids died. The... Police came in and put the tape around the body, and what shocked them, the other gamers looked up, looked at the tape, looked at the body, and went back to gaming. They knew there was a problem. So that started the ball rolling with a curfew at uh, at night in the gaming cafes. They have to shut them down at a certain time. Now I think it's 10 p.m., and then they started opening these detox centers, and the school that I was at keynoting, they had actually taken all the technology out of the school and went went analog again and banned devices, no Wi-Fi, nothing. And the children were awesome at that school. So not all of them have done that, but but South Korea is ground zero for what we are talking about here. And so when we and they recognize Internet addiction disorder, that's why they will diagnose it, send you to a clinic, pay for it and get the children help. So that's what happened. They had some shocking things. And now you we've also have video footage of children who have this um thing where their their psyche melds with the game and they can't tell if they are in the game or if they're in the real world and some of them have taken knives and got out onto the street and stabbed people they they still thought they were in the game and so you're starting now that's an extreme but that's what happens when these things get extreme and so south korea has started to do something about it we're taking calls 1-800-316-316 and some very patient listeners waiting on the line. Let's hear first of all from Jonathan in Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Thanks for waiting. Yes. Uh, to be realistic, what I hear in this morning and the victim of all what we're talking about this morning, that is when we came to Australia in 2005, or my big children that were big when we came here, they are all falling on the side. But when we saw that vision of where the children were going, we decided to homeschool our children. The rest are remaining. Our grandchildren are going homeschool because we know, according to what the speaker was talking about, because uh, it's, a, it's a 
All things are permissible, but all things are not beneficiary. Jonathan, great insight there. Let's get a, a thought from Brad on the idea of homeschooling your children because uh, homeschooling is a way that you can take back control. Mm-hmm. Homeschooling is huge in America, and I speak to some of the groups there. It's it's also huge in South Africa. Here, um, for whatever reason, and I don't know all the reasons, the government puts quite a few roadblocks, and they, they do it here. And I know homeschoolers here, but it's very difficult to do that here. But I highly recommend it. That is an analog option whereby you can then control. So for me, for some reason here in Australia, it's it's deemed controversial to a lot of people. But I come from a land where it's just norm. So I don't get the controversy. To me, it's choice. You know, if that's how you want to raise your children. But clearly, there's a the, the race is on for our children. Everything from safe schools, which we have our version in America. It comes out of Canada and Berkeley. A lot of people want control of these children. And that's another debate. But Technology plays a big part of that because that's how they get their message through to the kids while they're under the the roof of the parents. So homeschooling is a great way to go. Thank you so much to Jonathan from WA. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Laura in Bansdale in Victoria. Hello, Laura. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Hi, Laura. What are your thoughts today? Um, well, I'm actually a primary school teacher come stay-at-home mum now. Wow. Um, I just found it really interesting what you were talking about with my experience um, in the classroom and the use of technology. Um, I completely agree with everything that um, Brad has said this morning. I want to thank him for his contribution. Um, yeah, I, I just found that... Um, as a teacher, we were encouraged so much to include more and more technology, iPads and um, any sort of smart device or interactive whiteboard use to try to hold kids' attention. And that um, it was a sort of, I didn't, I didn't like incorporating technology that much, um, but it was to try and fight against what they're doing at home. And so it's interesting that it's, it's such a, um, it becomes such a vicious cycle um, with you know they're using it all the time at home, and so to try and hold their attention at school, um, we're encouraged to include it all the more. Laura, great, great observation, and I said at the beginning of the show, eighty percent of the problem happens in the bedroom. That's not at school. That's at home in the bedroom. Yeah. So you do get in the vicious cycle where the kids come in with a wall in their brain that is causing them to crave more and more dopamine. So that forces the teachers to have to compete with that by using edutainment and media. Pastors are telling me, too, they they have run the gamut of the fog machines and the lights and all the things that stimulate and use dopamine. And we're running out of options now because technology in the bedroom and the home has become so stimulating. The video game cards are so fast, virtual reality goggles. Now we can't compete, and the schools won't be able to compete either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Laura, thank you so much for your insight today and great to be able to hear from a school teacher who recognises that these things are in fact happening in the classroom. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Corinne in Yapoon in Queensland. Hello, is it is it Corinne I've got? No, it's Cornea. How are you? Oh, Cornea. Okay, very well. Thank you, Cornea. What are your thoughts? Yes, uh, Brad, thanks. Uh, we've been in contact as well. And I just want to thank God that uh, you came to Australia again. Um, thank just you. Just hi- highlighting this uh, to all the schools. As you know, I spoke to in, in a school uh, locally as well. And uh, as you uh, also said, your heart breaks when those children put up their hands uh, for using these technology devices in their bedrooms at night. 
and that's the majority of children uh, in our schools today. Cornelia, what is your occupation, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I'm a medical doctor. Wow. Yep, carry on. Thank you, Cornelia. What, finish yeah. your story. Yes, yeah, so, uh, yes, and I've seen uh, children coming to see me as well, um, and now we, we're dealing with the effects of, of that, where they're actually manning up and saying, well, we're addicted. And I think it's not only one or two in the schools. Uh, I know the schools are, are, are rife with uh, technology, not only technology, but pornography and the effect that it has on children and, and teachers trying to cope with that because how do they speak about that because it's basically um, okay at home to, to have that. And I just thank you for coming here every time and speaking out. And uh, I know you've been in Mackay and you spoke there. Thank you for going to do that. And uh, yes, at some stage we would love to do, do a whole Australia tour with you so <laughs> we can speak to all of the people in Australia. So I thank God for what you're doing. May God bless you and may bless your wife. And as you reach out to so many, uh, I just thank uh, God for that. Thank you. And listen, thank you for your encouragement throughout the year. Uh, a lot of medical doctors encourage me and, and do that. And uh, thank you so much for what you, you're on the front lines with these kids yourself as a medical doctor. And I appreciate you as well. And I, I want to encourage you too. Cornea from Yapoon in Queensland. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking through issues today. In fact, we had a title for our conversation called Protecting Young Minds from a Perverse View of Sex. And clearly the conversation is much deeper than that. But when we talk about a detrimental uh, aspect that affects real-life relationships. Uh, this is not a small issue, Brad. This is about how children will grow, will develop, and will treat their uh, lifelong partner, their spouse, into the years to come. Uh, you have to be able to be mindful about how you help those children develop in these areas. I wrote about, in, in The Dark Side of Technology, I chronicled, the only research that I have been able to find, now there might be other research, but I've looked deeply into this and what I've found, the only correlation that I can have from the past to what could happen in the future, they were hot housing children, which is a greenhouse effect because children like coding. These young children in grades one and two can do it. And it's amazing. It'll amaze you when you watch them do it. But they were hot housing children, teaching them how, in this case, how to read and speak before their time. Now, it wasn't like you and I having a conversation, but they were doing it. When that group of that cluster of studied kids got to be 16 and 17, most of them went into deep, deep depressions and they couldn't get some of them out. So obviously what they had done is tampered with something in a developmental stage by stimulating too much such that when that part of the brain was needed in a different developmental stage, it was messed up. So I, I'm on a little bit dangerous ground here because I'm going to draw this correlation with no evidence, but I'm just going to tell you looking at that scares me because the stimulation that we're putting these underdeveloped adolescent brains under now is far, far deeper and more stimulating than what they were putting those kids under back in, I think, the 70s and 80s because their technology didn't exist. So if that comes to fruition, Neil, and I'm not the only one scared, I'm not the only one scared, this is going to be bad. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020.
on vision. Author and speaker Brad Huddleston is our guest. Uh, We've been talking about some books that he's written. There's also a DVD series we'll draw some attention to in just a few moments called Pornea. Uh, it is on sale in the Vision Store, and there's going to be some price reductions on that. Endeavor to uh, in uh, within the endeavor to actually get that into as many hands as possible. We are taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call from Robin in Longreach in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Thank you. Um, my comment is, I have a I have some DVDs. They're a documentary set, and in them they um, interviewed different professionals and this one professional is a psychologist and he's a grandfather to 11 grandchildren I think he said and he said because of the technological age he's um, sad to say that not one of his grandchildren have a creative Okay, there's uh, an effect. A quick response from you, Brad. Uh, Well, more anecdotal evidence from someone in a very powerful position who also knows brain science and psychology that says during those developmental stages between 0 and 11, you will interrupt the proper creative development of the brain, and this grandfather sees it, and apparently it's disturbing him because he loves his grandkids. Wow. Okay, Robin, thank you so much for your call. Robin from Longreach. Let's take one more call, Uh, an anonymous caller. Hello, welcome along to 2020. Good morning, and thank you, Brad, for once again um, fighting back the darkness. I would just love to hear how would you suggest us reach other parents who are not on board with the same ideas that we have? What I have recommended that you do is lay a groundwork of two weeks of prayer. Don't make that a little Sunday school thing. Prayer works. It really softens people's hearts. And then grab the DVD from UCB, uh, Vision Media, the digital cocaine, invite them over to your house, fix some coffee, love the love them to bits, and then show that DVD and let me be the bad guy because I'm not in town, actually. <laughs> so you can put all the blame on Brad if there's yeah, a Yeah, but seriously, have, have home <laughs> meetings, just very intimate home meetings where there's not a whole lot of people there where you can have discussion and ask everyone to turn their phones off because I assure you the devil will make sure every one of them rings multiple times while you're trying to watch that DVD. Mm. So lay two weeks of, of prayer and, and have a meeting in your home and just start with two or three parents at a time. Okay. Thank you so much to that uh, caller. Appreciate your taking part in the conversation and for everyone who's taken part in the conversation this hour. And uh, thanks for some great scenarios, some great insights that have come from people who are parents, uh, doctors, teachers. Uh, wonderful to hear from you this hour. Let me ask you about this DVD series called Pornea. Uh, now, people will align that word Pornea with the idea of pornography, and that's mm-hmm. where the word comes from. Uh, on this particular DVD series, uh, just remind us how the presentation unfolds here, Brad. We shot it in Africa, South Africa, and the reason why is because children were being brought in to the church where we shot it for uh, pornography addiction. The, the ages are getting younger, younger and younger, but I go through the neuroscience behind porn addiction, and it has surprised me. I sold out of my lot uh, here, uh, and I've had to have some shipped in, and of course we can get it from you as well. But it is the number one issue, Neil, of all the things we've discussed today, and notice we didn't talk about it much. The church does not like to address this, and yet it is the number one. 95% of the 16-year-old boys in this nation are addicted. Now, those are not my stats. That's put out by the government. Or uh, let Let me take that back. That was what was published last year in July throughout all the media here. 
So I'd have to go back to my notes to see who did that research, but it was published nationally in every newspaper. 95%. It is the number one, number one issue. And so we're going to drop the prices uh, across the board at the other uh, resource places that sell it just in an effort to get it out. And, of course, when we talk about churches not addressing the issue, mm-hmm. uh, it's because uh, people will be convicted mm-hmm. uh, and will potentially feel levels of shame. And so there is a reluctance, I think, in churches to address the issue, even when it's a men's only group. Uh, there needs to be a, a sort of a breaking of that. But mm-hmm. I, I can understand where church leaders might be coming from in in thinking they don't want to rock the boat. But somehow or other, somebody's got to break the ice and get the word out that this needs to be dealt with. What I often say, it's not a men's problem anymore. Eighty percent of the females are struggling. In Africa, there's we can learn from each other's cultures. And I've learned so much from Australia. That's why I'm here so much. And I take it back to America. I go to Africa and I learn. The reason why the churches are so massively big, I believe, this is my opinion, is because they address these things. They have me preach on this on Sunday mornings. And the churches are massive, and it's because I believe God can trust them to deal with it. And if people leave, they leave. They trust Jesus to build the church. What we do is use our own psychology, and we do everything we can to lock the doors to keep them from leaving and make them comfortable and use political correctness. And I'm not judging anybody. I'm just calling it as a referee would call it. And what I'm saying is we have to love these people enough to address it and offer them hope and redemption. We did say at the start of this conversation uh, some straight talk about one of the most important issues that we face in the nation. Parents are the ones who need to take responsibility, getting word out to encourage parents to be strong enough to be able to take the action that they need for their own family and then, of course, uh, to be an influence in their local school environment and, as you say now, Brad Huddleston, uh, it's what's going on in churches as well. Uh, An important conversation today. Our special guest has been author and speaker Brad Huddleston. I'll mention those books that he has written, one called Digital Cocaine, A Journey Toward Eye Balance, and The Dark Side of Technology, Restoring Balance in the Digital Age. We did mention a DVD series called Pornea. Now, Pornea is available in the Vision Store. Simply go to vision.org.au. You'll find a link there to the Vision Store. The price is dropping on that. If it's not dropped yet when you go online, uh, perhaps send a request and say, uh, is the price dropping on this? I want to get myself a copy. I might even get one for a friend. Uh, It's called Pornea. And it's spelt P-O-R-N-E-I-A. E-I-A. It's the Greek word that appears 26 times in the New Testament from which we get our English word pornography. Okay. Go to Vision Store and get yourself a copy. And uh, even if you are not able to do that, this conversation will be available on a podcast later on this afternoon. It may be something that you can share with friends as well or send it to the principal of your school or send it to the pastor at your church. Uh, Brad Huddleston. Always great getting your insights. Thanks so much for being our our guest today on 2020. Well, look, I feel like family here, and you guys make me feel that way. And uh, Beth and I love you to bits, and, and thank you. It's our honor to be part of this family. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.